Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 4, Everything's Coming Up Roses. Mary, what happened this week? Dylan drafts a letter to the FBI, letting them know that if he dies, it's because he's been stalking Anthony Marchette. Tony Marchette interrupts him and asks him to go surfing because to hell with school. Later, Dylan finds Tony and says to hell with school again because they have a cliff to motorcycle to and a Bruno to lose. Tony even comes by Dylan's in the middle of the night just to say goodnight to Dylan and give him a kiss. Dylan gives Brandon a key to a safe deposit box and pretends some more that he's not attracted to Tony and that he doesn't think Brandon's going to have to write his eulogy. It's time for the annual rose parade, and Donna really, really, really wants to be a rose princess. Felice tells her not to get her hopes up, because why would she be anything but unsupportive? Claire, Kelly, and Val decide to tag along to tryouts, but mostly so they can go to a black tie royal ball. Unfortunately, Bray has to play Jessica Corman's birthday party that same night, or else he can kiss his record deal goodbye. Luckily, the Rose Parade judges think Donna's pretty, and Ray is able to show up for the last dance, which they do outside, end of Twilight style. Brandon and Susan, who are covering the Rose Parade selection process, argue over all of the reason this whole pageant parade thing is and is not sexist. They go to the party together, but not together, and then they get their picture taken in a prom pose to run beside each of their articles about the event. But uh, they don't really finish their articles because they can't stop themselves from making out in the newspaper office. Bless them. Steve Tenderheart Sanders is still bad at math, and we can also add online dating to his list of anti-skills. He's been flirting with Cuddles online and plans to meet up with her after he goes to this stupid ball thing with his math tutor. Luckily, Claire also wants to leave early, and they part ways, only to realize that Cuddles is Claire. Kelly says Colin can't come to the party because he's too busy working on that pee pad mural. Valerie tells Kelly she'll try to convince Colin to ditch his mural for the night. Instead, when she talks to Colin, she's like, oh, fun, cool, you're going to still paint all night? I'll help you. Don't tell Kelly. Since Colin can't come to the party, Kelly brings David to dress up and dance to big band music with her. He doesn't really want to, but to be honest, he's been spending a lot of time with his mom and needs a little bit of a break. Colin and Valerie decide to go to the party after all, angering Kelly when they arrive together. Kelly reaffirms how little she trusts Val. Valerie sends Colin to talk to her in the bathroom while the rest of the gang guard the door. Colin explains the whole situation and tells Kelly to apologize to Valerie. Kelly says, okay, but not tonight. David offers Valerie a ride home, but he has to stop by his mom's to check on her before, they dro- before he drops her off. When they arrive outside of her apartment, they're greeted with police cars and an ambulance into which they're loading David's mother, who has attempted suicide. David rides to the hospital with her, leaving Val alone. So we start off the episode with Dylan riding the FBI on a modern typewriter. (laughs) Like, it looked almost like those cash registers that a lot of stores would have with, like, the the plastic film on top. (laughs) Um, but I totally thought we were going to get one of those like narrator detective V episodes and I'm really disappointed we didn't. <laughs> right. Like 
I didn't totally understand the point of this letter that he's writing. Presumably this is going into the safety deposit box that he tells Brandon about later. But like, if you're reading this, it means Tony Marchette killed me. You know, the guy who killed my dad. Like, what is this? And I told you so letter? Basically, he's like, hey, FBI, you didn't do your job. So I did. And I still died by the person that you said killed my dad and you knew about it. But I'm dead. So here we are. (laughs) I would also like to point out that as he's typing, it's like very clearly just with his pointer fingers. There, There are not a lot of strong typists on this cast. Well, and that makes sense because thinking about how long computers have been around and not just around but accessible and these folks are actors, they probably don't have to use a computer all that much yet. (laughs) It just like I I couldn't decide if I preferred him doing the typing to be like D-E-R-F-B-I, enter, or Like in uh, CSI type shows where they're just like, clickety, 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 clickety. I've hacked into the FBI. That's my favorite trope on all of TV. I think like all, every kind of trope that there is, I mean, enemies to lovers relationship trope is way up there. That's probably number one, but like really close behind. Clickety, clickety, click. I've hacked whatever thing I need to hack. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) It's my favorite. I love it so much. It's so But yeah, like I would have loved if Dylan, I think I would have been partial to that than if he was just like typing really fast and then just sitting there waiting for his narration to be done. (laughs) I'm sorry. I type at 120 words a minute, but I only speak at 80 words a minute. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Oh, man. But while he's typing this, there's a knock at the door. So he takes it out of the typewriter barely sticks it underneath the typewriter, like not hidden at all. My brain immediately went to whoever is there is going to come in and see dear FBI. Right. For sure. Um, I told it that too. Like, and even if he wasn't, cause like clearly he wasn't finished, you know, like, I don't know why he took it. I mean, I know why he took it out, but like, he's going to have to finish that. But yeah. So not secure. No. Regardless of what's happening. Um, and it- Yeah. <laughs> And it's Tony at the door, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm skipping school today. Let's go surfing. I found you in the phone book, and, like, alarm bells are going off in my head over this girl. Yeah. Well, a little bit, yeah. But for me, I'm also like, um, is she his dream girl? Because he, she came to his door to blow off school to surf. <laughs> well, and that's the problem. She's so perfect yeah when like they had their first date last episode i think and you know dad saw them and was like find out who that is they know that that is dylan mckay and now i think that she's playing him while he's playing her because it's too Mm. perfect that she wants to skip school to go surfing and then later wants to skip school to go ride motorcycles And then lies about riding, like knowing how to ride a motorcycle and then just like pops wheelies. (laughs) Yes. Tony popped those wheelies. Definitely. Right, right, right. (laughs) Obviously. So, yeah, they, she bails on school, they go surfing, and then we go to the school where I thought this was a class at first. It's actually just like 
you know, a thing in the student center where they're playing this video about the Rose Bowl parade and Donna and Kelly are there and it's this whole thing about the, what do they call it? The Court of Roses? Tournament of Roses. Tournament. Mm -hmm. And Leslie, the old Alpha Omega president from one season ago, like we saw her in season four, is now the assistant director of public relations. Like this girl has climbed the ladder in the last year. She has to be like the fastest climber is the only word I I can think of. Ascender, ascendant of a job in CU history, right? Like literally she was a senior in college nine months ago, not even Mm -hmm. three months ago, four months ago. And now all of a sudden she's assistant director. That's hilarious. Right. Like, and what assistant director has to go to see you to show this video? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like maybe at, at minimum, she's like alumni relations or something, you know, like she could clearly, she works for the Rose Bowl or the Rose Bowl committee or the tournament of roses or whatever. And I could, it would make a lot of sense for her to almost be like a, a, campus outreach type Mm -hmm. of a person but yeah the assistant director that just like threw me for a loop I got so stuck on it I had to rewind to make sure I wrote down her entire job title of (laughs) assistant director of public relations for the tournament of roses yeah didn't write her name down thank goodness I remember she's Leslie but I didn't remember I yeah I didn't remember I had like luckily she said I'm Leslie (laughs) So I completely forgot about her until I was writing my synopsis this morning. And I was like, oh, Leslie. (laughs) That Leslie. (laughs) Remember that Donna and Kelly were in a sorority? Yeah. That's why I think later on when all the girls are talking about the Rose Parade or whatever, I I at first thought this meeting was a sorority meeting um, just by the fact that this was totally me stereotyping. It was all women mm-hmm. and Leslie was there. <laughs> but yeah, so it threw me for a loop when all the girls later are talking about it because I was like, oh, isn't this not just a sorority thing? Claire and Val would never be caught dead in a sorority. And then I realized, oh, Leslie was in a sorority, not anymore. <laughs> well, and are Kelly and Donna even still in it? Like, I know Kelly talked about backing out for the cult, but then now she's also right. a model and doing her own thing. And you know, maybe it's just like not talked about that Donna is still in it. Right. Right. Yeah. It it clicked to me that it wasn't an Alpha Omega sorority meeting when the camera pans to the back and Susan is standing there and then Brandon sneaks in. And I was like, well, it's already ridiculous that two people from the Condor are working <laughs> on this. But it would be even more ridiculous if two people from the Condor were talking about an Alpha Omega meeting. Yeah, no, 100%. So little fun fact, so the Rose Bowl Parade, you know, for those listeners out there that aren't aware, it's an awesome thing. If you ever get the chance to go out to Pasadena to see the Rose Bowl football game, that's great. The parade is also awesome. Um, But fun fact, back in high school, when I was in high school, I think it was I think it was my freshman year of high school, but so my high school is very new. My freshman year, we didn't even have a graduating class. So there was only three classes um, or three grades in the school. But so our sister school, Fayette County High School, they got invited, the band, 
got invited to march in the parade and some of the whitewater that was my high school band members got invited to go with them if they could you know like basically pay for the trip and like do all that kind of stuff so my best friend megan got to go march in the rose bowl parade as part of like fake high school yeah back in the day so it's a really cool thing and even if you can't go see the parade live what they do after the fact after the game and after all the ceremonies and stuff they have all the floats lined up at like this um fairgrounds in pasadena that you can go by and see all the floats that were created specifically for the parade it's pretty awesome so did y'all see the parade when you went to the rose bowl a couple years ago or did you just see the floats we just saw the floats so we didn't have a chance to see the actual parade but because you know long story short but we went to the game and then the next morning was when they had all the floats out. And so we like figured out where that was going to be. And it was actually in walking distance to our Airbnb, which was excellent. And so we went down there and those floats were immaculate. Like think the float that Emily Valentine burned down a few seasons ago <laughs> and times it by a million. Like they were incredible. <laughs> That's a big fire. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, the whole time I was watching this episode, I was thinking about the fact that y'all went to the Rose Bowl a couple years ago, and I was like, I wonder if she saw the Tournament of Roses. I wish I had. Yeah, we stayed with my best friend, Megan, at the time in Hollywood. They were living in Hollywood at the time. And so we were like butting up against the game. The game's on January 1st. And so, yeah, we just couldn't make it work to go see the actual parade, but everything about it was you always hear about the Rose Bowl. Like, I mean, literally the entire episode, Donna talks about like the traditions and the court and the the Rose Princess and like all this kind of stuff. And it really is pretty prestigious. Like, I don't usually like to err on the side of Brandon here and just talk about tradition and leaving it for what it is and that things can evolve over time. But it really is kind of like a very prestigious traditional event. And it's actually pretty cool. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, Susan's whole stance on this, like the idea of the scene is that Brandon comes in, he goes back by Susan. He's like, oh, let me guess what your lead is. And, you know, starts talking about how she's going to say that this is a traditional sexist event designed to make women look stupid or whatever. And it's still the whole like, Susan's a man-hating feminist and Brandon is going to warm her cold, cold heart. Right. Right. And I... I don't think it has to be so black and white. And I think you see Susan, I keep wanting to call her Keats because that's what Brandon <laughs> calls her, but she kind of at least budges a little bit in certain ways. But Brandon is very much like, I'm right about this and you're the one who's wrong. I'm not going to bend. And so I think he has a point to say, I think anything that's lasted a hundred years can't be all bad. I think that can be true, but it can also, what can also be true is that things can evolve and change over those hundred years too to adapt to a better definition, yeah. right? Like just because I did something 10 years ago and it was the right decision doesn't mean 10 years later I can make a better de- – the same decision but make it, make it better, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's just kind of where I'm on about it. I, I think there's some – Brandon's not 100% wrong and he's not 100% right and neither is Susan. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. I think if you could mash up like Brandon and Susan's opinions on this, that's about where I stand. Because like later on, Susan says something very like 
important. But this scene ends, you know, Brandon has asked her about what her lead's going to be. She asks him, oh, what's your lead going to be? And he just goes, I love a parade. <laughs> no, I'm like fascinating, Brandon. A plus journalism. <laughs> like, I feel like when he said that, she as the editor should have been like, get out. Right? Like, that's not a lead. <laughs> we don't need two articles on this. It happens every year. Yeah, that is true. That's so funny. After this whole meeting, I guess, you know, Donna goes up to meet with Ray. They're going over to the record label where Mr. Corman works or owns or is president. I don't remember. But the whole point of this whole scene is that that little girl, Jessica, is sitting at the receptionist desk and talking <laughs> a lot. There is so much child in this scene. There really is. And I have my own biases when it comes to like children that get responsibility, but they don't get responsibility. Anyway, the whole point is at least Ray is buying into it. And so he's like, all right, well, if this is all I have to do to get a record deal, that's pretty easy. I just have to be nice to a 10-year-old or however old she is. I have no idea how old children are past the age of two and up to the age of like 15. <laughs> but yeah, he just smoothes her. He's like, oh, you're sick? Oh, like, oh, can you give this tape to your dad? Like, like, it's all gross and weird. But Ray is like committed even after Mr. Corman comes by and says that they need to reschedule. And Jessica's like, don't worry. I'll listen to your tape, Ray. And moving on. Yeah, because Mr. Corman is just like, no, this meeting is canceled. You can leave your tape. I guess I'll listen to it. Mm -hmm. It makes me think that at some point in this episode, there's a scene that got cut either from streaming or from, you know, shooting to actual release that explains a little more of what's going on with Ray and Mr. Corman and all this stuff because it really just seems like Mr. Corman is not actually interested in Ray but his 10-year-old is obsessed with him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think we're missing a little bit. I think they had this scene to help with that a little bit, you know, to give us some little breadcrumbs. But yeah, I, I actually kind of wish we had more, which is weird because I feel like I haven't wanted more Ray <laughs> since he's been on screen. I, I'm realizing, you know, after watching this episode and thinking about it, and then now that we're talking about it, I really wish – they had picked a couple of these storylines and really focused on them rather than do all of these things. Yeah. Because they're really, like there's – we'll get there. But it feels like there's not a lot of payoff yet. And I don't know. Yeah, maybe they're for building sure. to it. No, I agree. I mean the, we just like praised the last three episodes for having a lot of group scenes and kind of sticking to like A and B plots, not A, B, C, D plots, right? So – it, now they've kind of gone back to that formula where it's like we have to keep them all together, but we also have to like like together but apart, you know. So it's like we'll have some group scenes, but each couple or each few people have their own little storylines. And what we end up getting is just a lot of, yeah, like you said, no payoff, like a lot of story with zero payoff. Speaking of. Our next <laughs> scene is we're at the Walsh house and Steve's in a tank top typing. I wrote and that too. <laughs> he's just typing in a tank top. Um, 
But what he's typing, the fact that he's typing is not the problem. It's what he's typing. Brandon reads over his shoulder and reads that Steve is typing out, honesty is everything. He wants to be friends with a girl first. So he's making a dating profile, aka scouring the CU love lines and lying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like catfishing women, essentially. Yep. And yeah, he's talking about how he's so sensitive, he's so gentle, he's so caring, and just so much grossness. He says that saying all of that is he wants to get women right in the G spot. When I tell you I vomited. (laughs) I was like, man, we are just like committing to scumbag Steve. Right? Like literally every episode has to have a line that makes me want to vomit. I'm not even joking at this point. It's so bad and then you know he says his name is tenderheart all this stuff and he and brandon start talking about susan and like how brandon hasn't really like gotten any headway with her and steve is like oh well you should like do this whole thing too and be like really caring you should play tenderheart and like quiver your lips and then the two of them quiver their lips at each other and like stick their chins (laughs) out like this is this how i do it like honestly, Brandon looked like a frog. I will, I will say that. But I, what I will also say is, I just had a thought enter my mind of like, they're saying, like Steve is saying to do all these like tender-hearted things and be sweet and be caring and like do all this kind of stuff to get a girl. But then it's so hypocritical for a lot of reasons. But especially that when they do all that just to get a girl, they get mad when a girl doesn't like it. But then also when they actually do feel vulnerable and are in an emotional state and a girl rejects them or something or just doesn't want to be with them or something like that, they get pissed. And I'm like, yeah, it's almost like you lied to them for however long to get with them. And so they don't believe you when you're actually trying to be vulnerable. So it's just a complaint. It's not nothing else. I just had, I just thought of that because I feel like Steve is the person to do that. Yeah, Steve is the guy that, like, buys the pickup artist books. Oh, my God, yeah. And those are the only books on his shelves other than the books that the pickup artist book tells him to buy in order to seem approachable to women. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't want to spend a lot of time complaining because it's just a shame what they've done with Steven. But, anyway. I just... I I kind of do love the idea, though, that Steve has gotten into internet dating so quickly. Like, mm, mm-hmm. it just feels like something this show would not have, like, dived into headfirst. And Steve is just over here being like, no, chat rooms are the place to be. <laughs> Guaranteed the Steve Sanders of today has NFTs. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and cryptocurrency, he's trying to convince other people to do it. And then we have to keep going through the cast to be like, okay, well, now we know what all these people are doing. Let's go see what David is doing. David is at his mom's apartment. We remember, you know, right before school started, he had been moving her into this apartment. He had been spending all of his time with her. It's getting in the way of school. It's getting in the way of work. And it seems to still be going. They're just sitting there playing, you know, gin. And he keeps saying, mom, I have to go. I have homework. And she's like, no, 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 you stay. I'll help you with homework. And like, she is like begging him and like kind of being a little aggressive about it. Just like, I need you to stay, which I think makes sense. Like everything that Sheila has gone through 
over, you know, the last season, everything that took to getting her into the hospital and then into the halfway house. Like, this is the first time since they found her in Portland that she's been alone. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, being alone and experiencing homelessness can be two totally different things, right? Like, when she was experiencing homelessness, she was alone, but it's just a different feeling of of then when you get somewhat of a support system back. Um, you're at least in a halfway house. You're working towards independence. Then a whole different type of loneliness kicks in, mm-hmm. right? Because now she is independent and she's stable enough to to experience some ind- some real independence. But yet with that does come a, a whole different level of loneliness. And I think she's she's starting to like slowly become crippled by it, right? Like she's expressing need. She's expressing that she needs David to stay. But part of it is fear, right? She doesn't know what's going to happen when she finally is left alone. And then the second thing is, I mean, a part of her, I'm sure, is just thankful to have her son back mm-hmm. and doesn't want him to go just because she's enjoying spending time with him. So it's a very, you know, complicated situation for her and one that I think needs to be taken with delicate care. Um, And of course, David, he's 20. He's 19. Well, he's probably still 19. You know, he's definitely not equipped to be able to handle this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, interesting you were talking about a support system because, you know, like when she's living in her halfway house and she can see the support system like physically around her and it's not just you know, her ex-husband and her son. It's the other people that she was living with and the, you know, Mm -hmm. medical professionals that she's been working with to get her, you know, medications figured out and all these kinds of things. And moving into this apartment by herself, I bet she like, because she can't see the support system around, like that's another part of this loneliness and fear and everything. Cause you know, remember at Kelly's birthday when Mel bailed because Sheila was Mm. upset, like Sheila can only seem to be thinking about Mel and David. And I know she's like so grateful to have David back, but like, yeah, that her support system, it seems like it is shrunk around her when it probably hasn't. It just feels that way. For sure. For sure. And, you know, we can see that David is really frustrated by this because like you said, he's 19. He is not equipped to do this. And like, it's a really short scene but I feel like, you know, Brian Austin Green and this actress who played Sheila did it very well, like that we can get all of this out of it. Oh, 100%. I mean, we had more constructive things to say about this scene than any other scene thus far. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm, it's probably going to be the most I have to say about a lot of this because yeah, the next scene that we get is Steve is at the peach pit and he's not understanding math. Basic algebra. Yeah. It was the square root of 81. And he just like couldn't do that even to get to the square root of 81 times six. Meanwhile, Willie is over there just like, bro, that's 63 or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. the math actually was. But Nat yells at him, tells him that he's cheating and sends Willie off to go do work. And then Claire shows up and finds out that Steve has only done two problems out of 30 and hasn't shown any of his work. I'm at the point where I'm, I'm tired of it. You know, like I, I think 
second chances are a beautiful thing and a very patient thing and a very virtuous thing to have as a person. But I'm over it. I'm over it with Steve. Like, let him cheat. Like, like Nate is a big proponent of saying, like, after a while, you just got to let him fail. You know, like, you got to let them make their own mistakes and see how they climb their way out of it. Steve just needs to be left alone to do what he's going to do. Well, I, and I think that's the problem is nobody's actually let him fail. Yeah. They bail him yeah. out before he fails. But I mean, even in this scene, Claire is just like, look, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to charge double and she walks away. And I feel like that's probably the most straightforward anyone has been with Steve about anything. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, Claire's going to, you know, she offered and volunteered to be his tutor, but like she might as well get something out of it. Right. And like she can't make him do it. Right. Like, I mean, nobody can. Yeah. I love that. Like she saw he only did two problems and was just like, I'm not wasting my time. Bye. And then just like went and sat with their friends at the other table. Yep. Exactly. Um, Which speaking of, I mean, that was a good transition over to all the girls talking about the Tournament of Roses and the competition. And this is where we get an excellent little nugget that Val and Brenda competed in the Little Miss Minnesota contest. And apparently Valerie was terrible in it. She threw up on a judge. I can see little Brenda Walsh killing it. Like the entertainment or the talent portion, she would own that stage. Baby girl was meant to be a performer. Absolutely. And like, I'm just, I'm struggling to picture Cindy actually want to put Brenda in it, but I can see Brenda begging to be in it. 100%. God, I miss Brenda. I miss Brenda so much. And (laughs) also, you know, so Claire, Don, and Kelly are all in. They want Val to do it with them, which was wild to me. It's like, I can't – sometimes they love Val. Sometimes they hate Val. But I swear, like, maybe two episodes ago, we were talking about, like, pitting Val and Kelly against each other in a model competition. I know. And now I'm just like, oh, look. It kind of happened. Yep. And Valerie keeps flip like this whole episode, she flip flops on like whether she's actually doing it, whether she's out. She says she's out here, but then she shows up. She gets a number. She then's like, no, nah, I'm done because this was boring, like whatever it was. So like they're trying to do that, but they're very, very hyper focused on the dynamic between Colin, Val and Kelly. So much so that Kelly's explaining that Colin's not going to go to the ball, mostly because, you know, Kel- Kelly says that he's a workaholic. So once he starts a project. He won't stop until he's done. And Val's like, don't worry about it. I'm the boss. I'll give him a night off. And Kelly's basically like, "Um, slow your roll. I didn't ask you to do that. Please stay out of this. And she's like, don't worry. I'll get to him. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you will. (laughs) Well, and Kelly very specifically says, like, if you do this, he's going to know that I talk to you and then get mad at me. And I'm just sitting here like, does this not like red flag, red flag, red flag? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. A, he's a workaholic. He won't take a night off to do some like big important event with his girlfriend. If anybody tries to tell him to stop doing it, he'll blame Kelly and get mad at her. Which hasn't this already happened with her birthday? Thus a pattern. Right? <laughs> like <laughs> I'm even I'm really seeing you know parallels between Colin and Ray at this point. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, guess what? I also hate Ray. So like, 
this is not going well. I don't know. No. I don't know if a lot of like my emotions with Ray are kind of just like I'm putting that onto Colin, but these seem like red flags that he just keeps getting mad at her because she's getting in the way of his heart, which in that case, if he wants to focus on his art so much, stop dating. Yeah, exactly. Or like date casually or non-exclusively or whatever. Because clearly they have a sexual attraction. This is like Dylan again, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's okay to have a physical attraction to somebody but not be emotionally attracted to that person either, right? Like, that's totally fine. Yeah. But yeah, I I think it totally makes sense for them to not date seriously. Right. Don't move to LA with her. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But, you know, Val is like, no, no, I got this. I know you don't want me to step in, but like, I'm the boss, whatever. And so she goes over to the the pee pad and like, I don't know, helps Colin put some tape up on some stuff. I mean, I know he's like putting tape up so he can paint, but I didn't understand exactly what they were doing. But the whole <laughs> point of this was so that Val could be like, oh, well, if you're going to be working all weekend, like, I'll just hang out with you, but let's not tell Kelly about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was awesome. Like, <laughs> like I love, I live for this drama if only because it's so obvious, right? Like Val's not even trying to, you know, be subtle about it. She is to Kelly, mm-hmm. which is what she should be doing if she really wants to pull this off. But with Colin, she has had cards on the table the entire time. And I kind of love it. Uh, this was also the point where Val was just putting up masking tape on whatever that thing that jetted out from the wall. This is the point where I texted you and I was like, somehow Valerie makes everything sexy. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know what it was about her, but I was just watching this scene and I'm like, how, 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 <laughs> how are you this attractive? I get it, Colin. I get it. <laughs> well, and I think that's kind of the funniest thing is like, Colin seems so like out of it. Non yeah, nonplussed. Yeah. <laughs> like it's definitely later in the episode, but she's like, oh, let's hang out. And he's like, I have a better idea. <laughs> like, Colin, she is just like throwing herself at you. Yeah. Yeah. She just needs to like next time. <laughs> Take all that tape, wrap it around her body with nothing else on, and be like, Colin, I think you missed some tape. (laughs) So we have to keep going with all of this. Donna has left the peach pit, and she's getting manicures with Felice, and Felice makes a comment that if she didn't bribe Donna with manicures every week, she'd never see her. And I was like, yeah, this is what happens when your kid moves out. Right. Like – you have to find an excuse to see each other. It's it's just what <laughs> happens. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, it is. And and it's like the scene makes it doesn't make a good argument for like Donna making time for Felice. Right. Because Donna just like, I mean, not Donna, Felice just keeps making all these passive aggressive and aggressive comments and condescending Donna at every freaking turn. I'm like, dude, like. I understand that sometimes this is just a mother-daughter dynamic because I think we all three and all of you ladies out there can relate to a passive-aggressive condescending mother at times. But like, 
I'm like, honey, you're not helping your case here. Like you want to spend time with your daughter. Maybe don't tell her that she's going to lose. Maybe don't tell her I'm just looking out for your feelings when really you're trying to say, Donna, I don't think you're good enough to win. Right. Well, and like, oh, Donna standing up for herself in this scene when literally I loved it kind of felt like they were being quiet to not like cause a scene in the nail salon. But yeah. Donna being like, well, what about being a debutante last year? What was that for? Academic enrichment? And Felice being yeah. like, no, that was different. Yeah. You were going to stop studying. I'm like, what? Please. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Donna snaps and she's like, I'm never good enough for you. I'm never pretty enough. I'm never smart enough. Like, I don't know what you want. And then, yeah, Felice kind of backs down, but there's no real resolution from that. Like, there's no one of the judges in the Tournament of Roses was the guy she had the affair with or that she did the Tournament of Roses and got embarrassed or whatever. There's nothing. Felice just no. is a bitch and then disappears. Yeah. I mean, the only thing you can take away from this scene is that Donna, having stood up for herself, now feels even more motivation to then go out and compete and and be all in to this tournament of roses and and be a rose princess which that part i'm fine with it just sure it, it felt like a lot of scene for just that yeah and i also feel like we could have just not had felice like donna could have come into the beach apartment on her phone and like been having the argument on the phone and then had the scene with kelly later and it would have been the same thing that's true. Yeah, because, yeah, I think for me, I agree because it's like you don't need to be in public for this because, again, they were already trying to talk in hush tones. So, <laughs> but anyway, luckily, you know, we get a lot of many scenes, which I'm going to lump together because it's the same thing of Tony is at the Condor's Nest, Dylan shows up, they say to hell with school again, and then they go ride motorcycles and try to lose Bruno. That's like what they do for the next three times we see them. Mm -hmm. Try to lose uh, – or Bruno's nearby. So then they're on a bike uh, together. Bruno's following. Tony wants to lose him. Then they finally lose him and they're like off on this little cliff thing in very adorable motorcycle outfits, I might add. To which then Tony lies and says like, What's a motorcycle? Basically, it says, can I drive it? Where's the gas? Anything else I need to know? Yeah, the clutch, all this. And yeah, she just like tears some tricks on the hog. I'm trying to speak <laughs> lingo that I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wrote pop she pops a wheelie. That sounds like yep. a, a, the right way to say that. Yep, she pops a wheelie and fishtails and stuff. And Dylan's just like, who are you? Like, he doesn't say that, but he basically is. And they finally kiss, which is adorable. They have very good chemistry. Yeah, my only thing is they kiss a lot up close for a while. And then when it finally pulls away from them, Bruno has caught up to them and is watching them from the car smiling, which <laughs> – yeah. Is another reason that I think that she's fucking with him. Well, and that's what's so funny about it because let's just say you're in the camp that believes Tony, right? Like you don't think there's any subterfuge going on here. 
to believe that and then see Bruno smiling is hilarious because you're like, oh my God, is Bruno just a softie? <laughs> like, does he just want Tony to be happy? <laughs> Which is the read I would love to make, but I'm sitting here being like, Bruno's like, yeah, we got Dylan McKay. Right, right. Like, you go, Tony. Oh, you wily woman. Like, <laughs> yeah, because like, this is a soap opera, essentially. Yeah. Nothing right. is as it seems. So Bruno just sitting there watching them kiss smiling is not just him being like, I'm basically like a second father figure to her and I just want her to be happy. <laughs> right. Oh, but I wish it was. Uh, I do because it's going to end so badly for Dylan. I feel so confident. Oh, 100%. And, you know, while they've bailed on school, we get a ton of scenes at the actual like Tournament of Roses at this house where like Val has ended up signing up because, you know, she wants to see what it's all about. And Kelly and Donna and Claire are all there. They all have their numbers. And Susan and Brandon are also there wearing press badges because <laughs> they need two people from the school newspaper to cover this. It also makes me wonder, like, how often do editions of The Condor come out? Is this a weekly paper? Is this a daily paper? Is this, like, how, what's the circulation here? Because um, you would have to think it's weekly to give them enough time to write this content. But I remember, like, the red and black at UGA used to be daily, and then it moved to weekly. And I think it's daily again. <laughs> Could you imagine if it's daily and the editor <laughs> and another reporter are just not working on it? They're like, man, these must be some really great articles. Like, Brandon's going to write like 500 words total. I know, right? And all of them are going to be, man, I love a parade. This is <laughs> traditional. <laughs> I feel so bad that like we just assume Brandon is a terrible writer. I just, you know, he he must be one of those guys that's not super witty when it comes to <laughs> like remarks. But yet when he sits down to like research and actually put pen to paper, he's probably pretty good. But yeah, I just have a feeling because the the only thing he could think of when asked what his lead would be is I love a parade. I'm just it doesn't give me any confidence that he's like quick. <laughs> well, and, you know, even in this part of the scene, like Susan just sounds so much more eloquent than he does as they're talking because Susan makes a comment. She's like, you know, all these girls are introducing themselves, doing all this stuff when like the judges really just care about their measurements. Like, let's just be honest here. They should be coming up being like, hi, my number is 500 and I wear a 32B or whatever. Yeah. And Brandon says it's an American tradition. And then Susan is like, yeah, so are minstrel shows, but you don't see people wearing blackface anymore. And I was like, damn, Susan. And that's kind of my point, right? Like from earlier, it's fine to believe in a tradition and it's fine to have things that you've done for a long time. Until it becomes problematic and mm -hmm. then you evolve. You can still have a tradition but change it. Like there's a reason why when we're all kids, if you believe in Santa and celebrate Christmas, you set out milk and cookies for Santa. But then by the time you're 30 or you're 20, you don't really focus on that anymore, right? Like that's a really like plain example, but it holds true. Like you don't do the same things even though you have still similar traditions because you change and grow. And I think Susan makes an excellent point there. And I think Brandon just needs to like, he's almost there. Like he's so close because he even makes the point like, 
they're there on their own accord. No one's embarrassing them. Nobody's like treating them poorly. He's right. Mm -hmm. However, that doesn't mean that everything about this is perfect. Like he's just so close. And I think that's a good thing, right? Like he's so close. And so Susan's just trying to open his eyes to say like, yeah, but listen to this. Like, like there's just one extra piece. So it's a good thing he's so close and not miles away. Yeah. <laughs> but then he makes a comment like, oh, I bet you hate football too. And Susan's like, you're right, because it's too violent. <laughs> I just love her so much. Because <laughs> like, I love football. It's also very violent and dangerous. I get mm-hmm. it, Susan. Totally get it. And then Brandon tells her that like she's being elitist and it's unattractive because she's criticizing just to be critical. And I was like, no, Brandon, everything she's criticized is true. And that's the thing. I like I totally understand like Brandon perhaps being, I wouldn't even call it an optimist. I would just call it, hmm, I don't know. Cause I don't want to say anything bad about his like the way he feels. Cause I think it's valid, but I think he's just missing the point. Like mm-hmm. she, yes, she's criticizing things, but they're not without merit. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's the thing. Like they're, they're both right to an extent. Just yeah, mash them together. Which is perhaps kind of a great point. Like mm-hmm. maybe this is excellent because you're finally getting healthy conversation about two sides of the coin right yeah I mean having like a point counterpoint article series is kind of like a pretty good idea and you know Susan makes the comment in that last episode with the uh it's a guy thing and it's a girl thing that like these diametrically opposing viewpoints get readership yeah 100% it's they are like really clinging to it Mm mm-hmm which, I don't know, Susan seems to like the arguments because, like, she gets a little flustered at the end. It's just like, well, I'm rubber and you're glue. And, and runs all- away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, at a certain point, it's like you're just banging your head against the wall. So, ha. <laughs> like, basically, it was like, bye. <laughs> I love it. I Honestly, I just think she is such a good actress. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying her. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. So inside the house, uh, they're, all the girls are getting a tour of the Rose home. I don't know. They said what it was called, but I kept writing just the Rose Court house. And I love that Kelly makes a comment, this house looks just like Donna's. And Donna's like, yeah, I think we have that wallpaper. I know. It's like she's so in her own bubble that she doesn't realize that Kelly is being kind of facetious about it. <laughs> And yeah, like everyone is making jokes about it. Claire's like, oh, yeah, when you win, you get a chastity belt decorated with roses. Yeah. Like and Val's like, like, (laughs) like they're kind of being buddy buddy about it, which is kind of adorable. And then Donna's over on the other side being like, oh, my God, tiaras. I know. Like it's it's actually kind of cute for both. Right. Like it just shows that. Donna really does love all this stuff and it makes sense. She grew up around it, right? Yeah. So she's very used to it. But then Val and Claire did not, even though Claire grew up in a pretty rich household, I would say, or at least like somewhat mm-hmm. affluent. 
and she's just like above it but not bashing donna right like i think you can have two different ideas here without bashing a person's ideas and i think that's kind of what makes the scene more comical than like mean like mean spirited Mm -hmm. or whatever yeah and i think it helps that kelly is like a good middle point for this like she understands this is all ridiculous but she's like oh my god i made tiaras for my barbies too and like Mm -hmm. you know when they're claire's making this comment that everything sounds like a nightmare kelly's like yeah but donna was born for this yeah exactly like they're still being supportive of donna yeah i kind of love that yeah like you had to have all of them in the scene because if you took Kelly out, yeah. it just sounded like they were being mean to Donna. And if you took Claire out, then like you don't get all the jokes. Mm-hmm. Like they just, they all had to be there and it was perfect. Yep. And it kind of like all culminates into, well, we get a like short little thing of all of them together and Brandon shows up kind of talking to them about it. Donna's like really proud. She's like number 675 and proud of it. Val decides she's out again. And, but now it kind of all, all comes full circle because then now it's Donna's turn to go in front of the judges and she just kind of does exactly what the previous girl had done and just says her name and that she's really excited to meet them and that, you know, she watched every Rose Bowl parade and all that kind of stuff forever and how it's just a pleasure and a privilege to be there. And one of the judges calls her lovely, which is 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. Now, I, like, it makes me so happy that this little storyline, even though it doesn't seem to be going anywhere in real life, like, is happening for Donna. Like, that she has just gotten this opportunity and she gets to go and, like, do her poised thing and, like, her little number 675 and proud of it. Adorable. I love her. So, after all of this happens... We have to go back to the pee pad where Colin is like sketching on a wall and Kelly comes in to see him and she does like a weird baby voice and like is very like touchy with his chin and he keeps saying like, no, no, I'm not going to go to this thing with you. And then she says like, oh, well, I'll just ask my brother to do it. He'll do anything for me. (laughs) Like, why are you being so sexy about this? (laughs) <laughs> it was so yeah I got those vibes too I mean it was at this moment where I'm like okay Kellen and Kellen yep Kellen Kellen works right like you know it's it like it she was still trying to convince him to go but she was also saying she wouldn't go so she could help him and kiss him but that's besides the point and he's like no 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 you go have fun do your thing we'll get together after like that to me is a healthy Mm-hmm. thing is to be able to have things for each other have things together respect each other's stuff like and still be into each other however that's not entirely what's happening because either Collins just like we said earlier either Collins just really naive about Valerie or he's playing Kelly and so I don't either way it's not great um yeah, because it just, like, for a second, I'm like, okay, this relationship can work, but there's just a lot of other stuff. Yeah, like, they do have these cute little moments, like, you know, where she's like, oh, I really wanted to see you in a tux, and he's like, oh, I'll wear it to bed. 
Yeah. Like, they clearly have a connection to each other. Again, it's like we talked about last week, I think. It's almost like they had this little bubble in New York. And when no other distractions are around them in the form of other people, but you put other people around, you put all these other distractions, and it just falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. But Kelly is, like, convinced that David will put on a tux and go with her. And she goes out and she asks him and he's immediately like, I don't want to wear a tux. <laughs> I don't want to do this. She's like, come on, there's going to be a ton of girls there. He's like, yeah, with dates. <laughs> no. And like he's truly acting like a little brother here, which is kind of adorable. Mm. But then unfortunately, he gets a call from his mom at the peach pit. Like she figured out he was at the peach pit, calls him there and needs him to go hang out with her again and david at this point is just kind of tired of it right Mm -hmm. and decides he'd rather go with kelly in a tux than go see his mom for the umpteenth time yeah so he you know goes to pick up the phone and the camera kind of like follows him and goes past where steve is still being so bad at math and for some reason Claire decides to be like, okay, well, what's two minus one? Or, you know, I have two tickets, and if I'm using one ticket, how many do I have left? You can have it and be my date, which is just setting up to be like the Steve and Claire thing is going to happen, and I just don't really care. Like, it it didn't work for me. Yeah. This is one of those ships where I'm like, hmm. Don't really see the attraction here. Well, and especially really... especially given who Claire is. Like, yeah. No offense to Steve, but hot and stupid is not her type. Right. Like, the people she's, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, at least, so she went after Brandon, and we know Brandon is smart. We know he's, you know, he's a quote-unquote good guy, right? Mm. We know in the past Claire had gone for bad boys, you know, like guys who were older than her, guys that were probably not into the most safe things. And then she dated David for a while and they had a lot of connection on like the filmmaking stuff. And they were also kind of vibing intellectually. So what do her and Steve have in common? Claire, I don't think like sports. Claire doesn't. No, she definitely doesn't like sports because she makes all those comments about football in the flag football tournament from last season. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So she definitely doesn't like sports. She does not consider herself to be like adjacent to Greek life at mm-hmm. all. Um, she doesn't really care about Steve's bravado with money, except for the fact that she can exploit it. <laughs> and yeah, she doesn't like the fact that he won't be truthful with his academics. So yeah, so what's far here? there's just two attractive people on screen together. Yeah, which I it's probably at the point, but it's just not hitting it for me. Mhm. Cuz even so the next scene we go back to the Walsh's house where Brandon and Dylan are talking and I love that Brandon's vacuuming and Dylan is just like if Cindy could see you now. I know. That was a great comment. That was adorable. But they're talking about Tony 
And Dylan gives Brandon this keto uh, security box and is like, if anything happens to me, this has all my stuff in it. Like, you need to get this to somebody. But don't worry. Nothing's going to happen to me. Finally, Brandon actually, like, points out, like, dude, you don't know what you're doing, basically, in so Mm -hmm. many words. You know, he's like, what? Like, the FBI couldn't catch him. Why do you think you can? You know? So. Well, and, like, yeah, Jack didn't expect to die. But that happened like be careful about what you're doing Mm -hmm. but they kind of like get interrupted because steve is freaking out in the other room because he's unplugged his keyboard like talk about stupid i know like i think this is like another thing that i hate that tv shows do is when they make a dumb character unrealistically dumb Mm -hmm. you know like no longer are they just not in like a good student or something but then they have to make them like street smart dumb or street dumb or whatever you want to call it it just it becomes their personality and i'm not i don't like that yeah it really didn't land for me that he accidentally unplugged his keyboard and couldn't figure it out but the whole reason Mm -hmm. for this is to get brandon and dylan into the room so that they can make fun of him and his online dating persona which is just so like dylan can call him desperate and steve can be like oh but like let me go ahead and tell you my plan which is that I'm going to meet Cuddles tonight, so I have to ditch Claire early at the ball. It's like, just don't go with her. And it was at this point where I was like, it's definitely Claire, right? Like, yeah. it's one and the same. The way the, they were framing up this episode. There was literally no other option. Yeah. And continuing on, because everybody is doing different stuff, Susan and Brandon are at the Condor, now having a meeting and I did love that Susan ends the meeting with like same bat time same bat channel mm-hmm. yep I like that but this whole scene was so that Brandon could be like oh well if we're both covering the tournament of roses and everything together that means we should go to the ball together and I'll come pick you up and she's like oh you're not coming to pick me up I'll meet you there yeah it was it was super cute that Susan was basically, like, agreeing to go as well as him, but not with him, right? Mm. (laughs) Which I had a moment where I was, like, maybe Susan lives in, like, an undesirable area and she doesn't want Brandon to know. Hmm. Because that feels like a lot of times when people are like, no, no, I'll just meet you there. It's for them being like, I didn't want you to know about my 75 cats I have. (laughs) Right. Or my hoarding addiction or, (laughs) you know, something that they clearly don't want out in the open. Yeah, exactly. But like, there's no allusion to this. She just says like, no, no, I'll meet you there. But we'll go together. Yep. So we go over to the beach apartment where we find out that Donna has made the cut. She is actually on the Court of Roses. Yes, she is. And, like, Kelly is so excited for her. She's got flowers, all this stuff. But Donna can't get it out of her head that Felice didn't even want her to try out. Yeah. And so, yeah, at this point, like, this is where I think we could have just had this scene and just not had to, like, call Felice in for a day. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And I love that Kelly's being so supportive, right? This is – what we've been missing for the last mm-hmm. couple of seasons of the friends supporting the friends. And so Kelly's literally like, we're behind you a hundred percent. Like we're all in, 
and you love to see it. Love to see it. And like, even as this continues where, you know, David is trying on his tux because he's going to go with Kelly as her date and he's like, okay, I'm ready. And they all come in and he's wearing plaid shorts and the girls are just (laughs) like, plaid is not funny. Absolutely not. This is not a joke. Take those off. (laughs) Honestly, I was waiting for him to actually start taking his shorts off. Right. No, 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 no. Wait. (laughs) It's not what we meant. Yeah. And Ray shows up and says that he actually can't go to this ball because he has a booking and Donna gets rightfully mad because she's like, dude, I like you knew about this. Like this Mm -hmm. was if if I if if this would have been me, I would have been like, it's on the calendar. Right. (laughs) But I mean, he does have a valid excuse. Yeah. Like it's it's a sucky one, but it is valid because he says that he's got a booking with Jerry Corman and it just like came up that it's Jessica's birthday and the only thing she wants is Ray, which is very just Weird. not okay for an eleven year old. Yeah. But and also not okay that her dad has said, You either do this or you don't get your record deal. Oh, yeah. It's like blackmail to its finest, like holding basically Ray's career hostage. Yeah. And so I will say, like, this was actually a really good episode for Donna and Ray, which is kind of like weirding me out. Like when David was wearing his shorts like that and Donna and Kelly were like, they were all in Donna's room. I was honestly waiting for Ray to come in and like get snappy with her. Yeah. Yeah. I think – like, I think this is the problem, though. Like, it was a good episode for Donna and Ray, but only because good things were happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's always it's always the thing of when it doesn't go Ray's way that he bolts, but things are actually going his way. They're just at the expense of Donna, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's getting the, the meeting with Jerry Corman. He's getting the booking, but that means he can't go with Donna. He's getting a record deal, potentially you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, imagine if, like, I don't know, he doesn't schmooze Jessica, right? Like, Mm -hmm. then he doesn't, then he probably would have reacted this way, you know, toward Donna about David. So I don't know, like, it's good, but only because times are good, Mm -hmm. you know? That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And... Speaking of people I don't trust, (laughs) Colin and Val are at the pee pad and Val has painted the entire wall light blue, which really threw me. I was like, that has nothing to do with night. (laughs) I know. But we find out that's just primer and he's finished painting all the walls and he's like, oh, I have nothing to do until the primer dries. And so Val is like, oh, well, you know, let's go get food together. Like literally just like I'm here. Let's go. Let's spend time together. And Colin is oblivious somehow. And it's just like, no, I have a better idea. Because he wants to go surprise Kelly, which like literally as soon as he said it, I was like, no, he's going to go surprise Kelly and it's going to backfire. Oh, for sure. For sure. Which is great because we finally get to the ball and everybody's here. So mm-hmm. we're finally like, at, well, everybody with with the exception of Dylan and Tony, but that's okay. So we're finally at the ball. Brandon wants to get a picture with Susan 
which is kind of actually adorable because clearly he just wants a picture with Susan, Mm -hmm. but uses the excuse of like, no, we'll run it in the paper. It'll be hilarious. (laughs) I loved her being like, that's a really great idea. I'm glad I thought of it. Right. Like (laughs) their, their little like back and forth is actually quite good. It's, it's really working for me. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking. Yeah. Like it, it really is. And I think that's kind of the problem because I honestly feel like, this was Brandon and Andrea's relationship. Yeah. But aren't yeah. like no, 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 no offense to Gabrielle Carteris because she is gorgeous. But because she doesn't look like Emma Caulfield, they didn't take it there. Oh, I think that's exactly what happened is they were like, well, we can't have Brandon with Andrea. Exactly. He's got to be with new editor, hotter yes. editor. Yes. And also, they just made Andrea as an editor look like a 75-year-old grandmother. (laughs) Yeah. Which they're not doing Emma Caulfield any favors by having her hair cut the way it is. Because, like, I think I mentioned last episode, she looks younger than she does in this episode now. (laughs) But, yeah, that was kind of the point, too. But anyway, I'm still at least loving their dynamic. And they do have good chemistry with each other. Mm -hmm. And. Yeah, so they go do that. Not any chemistry with each other. Claire and Steve look miserable. And Steve uses the excuse that he has homework to do, which Claire buys, but really, like, it's so that she can get out of here, too. I'm just like, why did you both come? What right. was the there point? Was, there was zero point. Yeah, it. none of it makes any sense. But Kelly and David decide that they are going to go dance together on the dance floor, which, of course, they take up the entire dance floor and everybody has to back away so that they can watch them dancing. And I was like, they're going to clap at the end. They're going to (laughs) clap. To be fair, I would be one of those people. Like, this, to me, was my favorite thing of the entire episode, was David and Kelly swing dancing. Because, like, their little, like, you know, the the hand waves and, like, they're so into it and – like we're not seeing David's weird herky jerky hip hop dancing, <laughs> you know, like which don't get me wrong, he is the best the best dancer of the group, but swing, you could see actual smiles. Like they were having a very fun time filming this, you can tell. And I was like, this is freaking adorable. I love this. And I love, love, love that they are leaning into Kelly and uh David's sibling relationship yeah and you know i will say like while they were doing this i was like it is totally believable to me that kelly and david both took dance lessons when they were little and like her mom put her through cotillion so she knows how to like dance with a partner and like all of that makes sense to me so like it's just the thing that Every time the gang gets on a dance floor, everybody (laughs) has to separate so that they can be like, oh, my God, they're so amazing. And it just reminds me of high school graduation where the entire breakfast was about these six people. (laughs) Yeah. I just can't get over it. But (sighs) like off to the side, even Brandon is staring at her and Susan is just like, bro, stop drooling. Yeah. It's like, what? I'm not. (laughs) We can all see it. But while they're having all this fun on the dance floor and, like, most people are looking at them, Val and Colin show up all dressed up. Val's got her arm through his arm. 
And Claire immediately clocks it and is just like, well, shit. Yeah, basically. And like David sees Val and luckily he's like, um, Kelly, I unfortunately have to show you something. You're not going to like this. And whoop, turns him around. And like, I, I just don't understand why everyone assumes that Val is here to cause trouble and not to like actually bring Colin to Kelly. Like she has been telling everyone that she was going to do. I mean, I I get it because of Val's <laughs> history, but the gang is avocado heads that are very stupid, and two episodes ago, there was a whole con for everyone to think that Val has turned herself around, and then the second she does something, they're like, we always knew. See, I'm more of the opinion that maybe not the whole gang thinks that Val is intentionally doing something, you know uncouth with Colin but they know how Kelly is gonna react like the gang knows that Kelly has a hypersensitivity to Val so they're like uh oh Kelly's about to go off and she does she yes. walks up she storms stomps up to Val and says you are such a bitch and I was I my jaw was on the floor I was like <laughs> did not expect it Kind of loved it. <laughs> loved it. And I love your read on this that everyone is just like, Kelly is going to flip. Yes. Like, I'm telling you, like, whether or not they, like, know or believe or think of Val's motivations, they're like, Kelly about to lose it. Kelly going to snap. She's going to flip a table and make sure it lands on Val. Like, it just, it was amazing. I kind of loved it. And man, do we love drama. <laughs> It's so good. And I love like, you know, we come back and Kelly and Val are in the bathroom arguing. The entire gang is right outside the bathroom like, yeah, making sure that nobody interrupts this. And Val is just like, I thought you would be thrilled. And Kelly's like, get out of my life. And she's like, in what universe do you think that I would be thrilled that you strolled in arm in arm with a boy you've had a crush on for five years? My favorite part is when Kelly says, no matter what you say, I don't believe you. Yeah. Yes. Because, like, literally Val's like, dude, I totally thought, every like, it was all, like, here's the bridge, here's water, right under it. Like, I thought everything was kosher between us. And Kelly's like, nah, bitch, you always have an ulterior motive. Like, how in the world? You might have gotten all these avocado, <laughs> avocado heads to believe you, but this avocado head ain't fooled. <laughs> and, like... Val, truly, if I was Val, I would have just left and been like, you are actually the worst person in the world. But Val goes outside, grabs Colin, reminds everyone, like, you have to keep an eye on this door, and brings Colin in, and is just like, Prince Charming, Cinderella, and then leaves. It was such a mic drop moment, and it's like, th this is what I live for with this show, is just... Tiffany Thiessen and Jenny Garth going at it, cards on the table, and like pulling no punches. I mean, to be fair, Kelly did say early on, she's like, nah, I'm not going to hold back. You're going to get all of me. So you better be prepared. So Val probably was like, sure, you'll get all of me. I ain't going to fool you anymore. So I'm just going to be straight up, but I'm still going to fool you. <laughs> like she's telling Kelly she's not going to fool her anymore, but yet she's going to try to like 
make her think that she's the the one with the crazy ideas, right? Like, it's uh, mm, beautiful. Right. Well, yeah, because she keeps saying, like, I brought Colin to you when Colin is literally just like, I need your ticket so I can go. And Val's original plan was, we're going to go get dinner, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> she brings Colin into the bathroom, who then apologizes to Kelly because he wanted to surprise her. And Kelly was like, well, Valerie just drives me crazy. And I was like, why is Kelly not the one apologizing? Like, she just caused a scene for, like, very little reason. It's it's so weird to me because Colin even yeah. says, you owe Val an apology. And she's like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't either. Like, <laughs> that's such a normal reaction that she's like, oh, okay, but like not now because she's trying to be like not really ever. But like if I just say I will but not do it right now, maybe then I don't – you'll forget about it because we'll go back. You can wear your tux in bed. It'll be fine. Oh, they're – Totally going to bang in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Like, she like Claire, keep watch. <laughs> yes. They're keeping watch outside. And she starts, like, moaning. God, this – okay. I take it back. The swing dance wasn't my favorite part. <laughs> the confrontation was my favorite part. It's just – it's so good. But it, like – it is, like, basically the end of everybody's nights, presumably. Like – you know, Valerie tries to get a ride from Brandon because she came with Colin, which why she thought that Colin should drive when he was clearly going to go home with Kelly. I don't know. Yeah. But Brandon can't give her a ride home because he and Susan have to go to the newsroom for some reason. They have to write this article tonight, even though the Court of Roses is not done. <laughs> like nobody won yet. It's so great. And then like Steve and Claire have already bailed. And then David's like, okay, I'll give you a ride home, but we got to stop by and see my mom first. Mm -hmm. So like, it's basically the end of everybody's nights at this point. Like Dylan has been asleep on the couch and Tony knocks on his door, wakes him up and is just like, uh, night surfing. Just kidding. I just wanted to kiss you goodnight. And if the warning bells weren't ringing, up to this point they sure should be now right because like I know that this is not the age of texting and really you know any kind of like quick means of communication but at the same time like he's got she's got his address she also has his phone number she could have called him to tell him good night which Dylan astutely points out and then Tony's like well no I can't kiss you over the telephone which is true but like you still wonder why she's showing up so much. Why is she suddenly like seeing him three times in one day? Like what's going on here, Tony Antoinette, or is it just Antonia? No, I'm thinking Riverdale. Sorry. <laughs> it's just Antonia. <laughs> yeah. And like literally they make out a little bit and then she leaves and he's all hot and bothered at his front door, yeah. which I mean, hot move on her part. But <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Still kind of sus. It's very sus. You know what else you can't do over the phone? Murder. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) And then we go to the newsroom where Brandon and Susan are working at separate desks on their stories. 
I noticed Susan is not in her office, and I don't know why that really bothered me. I get, I get why it's, they were doing it, yeah, but I was just yeah. like, Susan, whose desk is that? It's the girl who said Brandon has a good butt. Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah, they're just like being all weird and like also hot and bothered across from each other. And Brandon finally comes over and is like, I enjoy working with you. I think you're a really good editor. You know, you could give me a compliment. Oh, my God. Yeah, the fishing. And she, she was like deep – he was deep sea fishing right here just trying to reel one in. <laughs> I Like it's so awkward. Like he is trying to get this compliment and she's just like, I'll think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes to sit down and she's like, I'll think about it? That's what I said? <laughs> Yeah, this was excellent. Like, totally such a realistic depiction of what an awkward pre-first kiss situation would be like. Oh, it was so good. But then she finally stands up. She's like, I thought about what I like about you. (laughs) It's later. (laughs) Good lips. Oh, my God. And, like, okay, the confidence, like, like like having having Susan – go from what the what the hell am I saying to just this like confidence like all of a sudden like screw it and then kiss him I was like yes girl go for it and Brandon obviously loved it and then she first says good lips and then great lips it was perfect it was good and they are just like eating each other's faces yeah in the room and it's like solid ending to your night solid and then we go back because uh, presumably Ray has finished this birthday party and they get to the ball in time for the last dance. And this is honestly, I did not make the twilight connection until you said it, Mary, but I really love that. He's like, I want you all to myself. And they go outside <laughs> and they dance together. Like so cheesy, ridiculous, but like, and both deeply problematic relationships. Oh, yeah. The parallels keep going. The, the hedgehog hair. <laughs> it's bronze. It's bronze. <laughs> All we need to find out is that Ray uses body glitter and it'll be perfect. Yeah, that he sparkles in the sunshine. <laughs> Thank goodness the real person who's heading up his record deal is a 10-year-old who probably loves glitter. From Bath and Body Works, no doubt. (laughs) Smells like melon. Yeah. She's going to keep giving him like, oh, do you want some hand sanny? Sparkle. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Have a sip of my juice. (laughs) Ew, while I have a cold. I know. I was like, no, girl, germs. Don't do it. Don't do it. Not in this pandemic, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then, like... There's two more scenes. The last scene, we have Steve walking into the peach pit. He goes up to Nat and he's like, hey, I'm looking for my date. Is anyone looking for, uh, I think he says tender heart. And Nat just bursts out laughing because it's obviously Claire. (laughs) Just Nat (laughs) bursting out laughing and just like pointing just – yeah, I'm like you're. We are, we know Nat. We know, but thank you, thank you for pointing it out so specific, so specifically for Steve. And when Claire realizes, she was just like, "Okay." Well, 
like I, love- I can only imagine what's going on in her head. They realize what happened. They're both disappointed that they lied on the internet. But Steve still wants to buy her a cup of coffee because they're totally just going to end up in a relationship together. Let's move past. We've already talked about it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the episode ends very uh, upsettingly. Um, you know, we've talked in the past about how David is struggling with his mom and Val has made the connections of like, look, I know what it's like to have a parent, you know, that's really difficult to deal with. I'm here if you need me. And when they're pulling up to David's mom's house, they end up seeing a bunch of like cop cars and ambulances and all these emergency lights going on. And they literally like David gets out of the car and he runs up to the building and he's trying to get in. And this person stops him and is like, no, you can't come in there. There's a problem going on. He's like, no, my mom lives here. And then you see her being like wheeled out and put onto the ambulance. And I mean, you know, they say exactly what happened. Like she attempted to take her own life and, like, luckily, David is like, I need to get in that ambulance with her. And they're like, okay, let's go. We have to go right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he drives off with the ambulance and it's just, you know, probably a solid 30 seconds of him and Val just like back and forth with their eyes looking at each other and Val ending up just alone on the street. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to unpack there, which I'm sure will probably be the first scene from the next week's episode but between i'm sure the guilt that david's going to feel Mm -hmm. the responsibility that david's going to feel and then on a whole different level such a triggering moment for val right yeah you know they were literally just talking about kind of the similarities in their parents how she's been there she's attempting to kind of send out a I'm here if you need me kind of situation mm-hmm. and not realizing, you know, obviously how relevant that actually is, right? Because, you know, up until that moment. So I think there's just going to be a lot of shared trauma here that they've subtly been building, you know, mm-hmm. just even in the last two episodes. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the whole thing with Mel bailing on Kelly's parties that he can deal with Sheila and, you know, David having to essentially like his whole life is falling apart. Like he's not getting the classes that he needs. He's being late for work. Like all of this is just building up to this moment. And like, I gotta be honest, I was not expecting the episode to end this way. And I'm a little nervous on how they're going to handle it in the future, just because like, this show handles sensitive topics in a myriad of ways. Mm-hmm. But I guess if they are going to do it, that, you know, I really appreciate that they're going to have Val and David. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be delicate. Mm-hmm. It'll be extremely delicate. So, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say. I just hope we get a good conversation a good dialogue about it Mm -hmm. um moving forward because it is an extremely traumatic experience for all parties involved so I just hope it's handled with care yeah and so before 
we talk about like quotes of the week and moment of the week and everything, I kind of do want to know what like next week's episode is, like what it's called, just to sure see like just to prepare myself because I was in no way prepared for this. So I now I feel like I need to prepare. Yeah. So it's season six, episode five, Lover's Leap. That gives me no clues. Yeah, it shouldn't. Although the first just so we warn everybody, the first part um, of the synopsis does reference the um, events of this this episode this week. So it does sound like we're going to start off kind of continuing where we left off. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, I, I guess I'm ready to guess your quote of the week. Yeah, let's let's switch some gears. Yeah. Um okay. So my first guess is going to be that like Susan and Brandon couplet at the beginning where Susan's like, "Oh, what's your lead going to be?" and Brandon says, "I love a parade." <laughs> my other guess is when David is trying on his tux and he's got the the shorts on the bottom and he's like, "It was a joke." And Donna just goes, "Plaid is not funny." <laughs> God, I always write down the stupidest quotes because the no. first one is when Dylan um, is convinced to go um, surfing because fuck school. Uh, he's just like, okay, <laughs> like in a little <laughs> sing-song voice. <laughs> so I wrote that down. Um, Steve being stupid, you get more honey with flies. Yep, I wrote that down. Brandon and Susan talking about like that whole tournament of roses thing. And Brandon says, know what your problem is? And Susan says, no, why don't you tell me? Um, Also just him saying that she's elitist and unattractive and her saying um, she's rubber, he's glue because (laughs) God, they're just wonderful together. I love them. Yeah. All right. So I have two. Um, for two very different reasons. One is Kelly telling Val, you are such a bitch. Like the things that set off, it was just like she pushed the boulder down the mountain and here we go. Uh, loved it. I don't, I'm not a fan of the B word, but I mean, it was kind of appropriate. It just, so, it worked. Yeah, it worked. Um, and then my second was actually one, Mary, that you said, um, when Brandon said, you know what your problem is? And Susan says, no, why don't you tell me? Because it, number one, was delivered perfectly. And number two, I feel like I had the thought as she was saying it, you know, like that's such a, such a Brandon thing to do to like, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. And, and Susan to be like, hit me. Come on. Like what? Like, please, by all means, white man, tell me. <laughs> I bet you will. Give yeah. it here. <laughs> exactly. Questionable opinion, please. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mary, what about you? Um, 100% just Brandon and Susan or Bruzen, if you will. Oh, um, <laughs> love that. Love Bruzen. Enemies to loversing all over my screen. I'm obsessed and I'm really excited that Brandon has a love interest and something that's happening and I just don't hate it. I'm very yeah. excited. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. Enemies to lovers is the best trope you can put on my screen. It's so fun. 
So fun. All right. Well, we already know. I feel so thrown off now because we already know what next week's <laughs> episode. Um, until we're back next week to talk about that, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at back to Podcast. You can also shoot us over an email if you have any questions, if you have any comments, thoughts, or concerns, whatever you got, just shoot that over at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe. All of that stuff, you know, really helps us get seen. It helps us build a community and then we can give you a better product. Um, and we'd just really appreciate if you did that. So until next week from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm number 675 and proud of it. I'm Tenderheart, the Care Bear. And I love a parade. Bye. Bye. See ya.